0: Good evening everyone. Wow, we have a lot of people in the room. Awesome. Wow. Alright, it's a beautiful night and I'm excited to preach. I'm actually going home tomorrow, my home Busan. Oh, so I'm a bit excited and I'm already thinking about my family and just things to eat. I had a list of food and yeah, I'm just enjoying eating after the fast and it's been fantastic. I hope you guys are having a good time as well. I'm going to uh, talk about a chapter that really struck me like powerfully. God just spoke to me so much from this passage that I just have to share this with you guys. And uh, it's actually First Samuel chapter 30. If you have your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to turn there. And before I do that, as I was pre- praying uh, in the time of praise... I just felt like, because I just felt like, I just felt led to pray for you guys, some of you guys, if it applies to you. Because I have hard time preaching from the Old Testament, because I often feel like I don't know much about it. I don't know all the names of people, names of kings, names of cities, and names of plants and animals. All the names, all the names of river. And it's just so confusing and boring. Some people, because you don't really know the culture in Old Testament and stuff, you just read through, you get nothing out of it. You just read, because these are letters, but you read... But you just skip through all the names and people names and city names, and you don't really get the storyline. But anyways, King David won. Good. And then you go to the next chapter. Any of you like that? Raise your hand if you like that. Yeah, I'm one of them. And it's really difficult to just read through Old is getting lessons and getting revelation. But the reason why God gave us this Old Testament is for us to learn and for us to Get something out of it. Old Testament is a part of Bible, a main part of the Bible. It's two-thirds of the Bible, and you're not to skip over all the passages, okay? We're not to pass off all the names. So I just feel led to pray for some people who are having similar struggles to begin with. Okay, just having a hard time understanding the Old Testament, getting lessons out of it, and just having hard time just understanding it, and all the structure and the history and things like that. If that's you, I just want you to simply raise your hand like this. Right. And just, oh yeah, everyone. <laughs> everyone other than John Michael here. <laughs> okay, if that's you, I want you to just raise your right hand like this, and I want you to just receive. And I'm going to just pray for all of us, including myself. Okay. Guys, ready? Father God, we just thank you for the gift of your beautiful words, God. The words of life that gives us energy and gives us wisdom and knowledge about you, God. We cherish this gift. We know that, Father, this Bible is the inspired word of you, God. So, Lord, I just pray right now, Father, for every single person that's raising their hands up high. Father, I pray that you release your wisdom and that you release your understanding about the Old Testament, Father God. The stories of kings and judges the fascinating stories or lessons father let us eat it up let us digest it well and let us talk about it let us enjoy reading old testament having fun father god and lord i just release the wisdom and blessing upon your people in jesus name we pray amen awesome all right i will see how this prayer works i can see how you respond to this message, how you follow me through. Okay, I need a lot of historical backgrounds. I need to explain a lot of those. So try to keep it with me, okay? Don't get lost. You can follow through, okay? So I'm going to talk about the King David. How many of you love King David? Oh yeah, we love King David. We love you, King David, if you're listening. And King David, I love him. I love him as a biblical character. I think he's a wonderful man of God. And he was the greatest king of the history of Israel other than Jesus, right? So we're going to start from 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to give you some brief background. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to give you like as if it's a story, okay? So chapter 16, here's the prophet Samuel. Samuel goes to the Jesse and looks at all the sons of his and then he finally anointed David the youngest as the future king of Israel right you guys all know that right and he after he got anointed as a future king, he goes under King Saul's service as an armor-bearer, right? As a, like, Shidabari, he's a servant, armor-bearer. He goes under, I'm sorry, <laughs> It goes under the service of King Saul. And then he will play liar, you know, when it's needed, when King Saul goes crazy, you know? So he would play liar and he would despair the armors of King Saul. And chapter 17, when you go to chapter 17, it's an important chapter. There is a battle with the Goliath, right? And and David, back then he's not a king, but David won victory over Goliath. And because of that, chapter 18, what happens is King Saul, he burns with jealousy against David, this little boy, right? And then because of the jealousy, chapter 18... David also Saul. He kind of goes crazy. He gets all uh, demonized and harassed by the evil spirit that's from the Lord. And King Saul starts to pursue him. And David was trying to escape from the hand of King Saul, right? He says, "Escaping, running away, running away." You guys all know that part. And from that experience, King uh, David wrote a lot of his psalms. He sang. He prophesied a lot of psalms from that experience of escaping, right? And chapter twenty-four. So he's been escaping, he's been running away, and David, being a righteous man of God, he spared Saul's life twice. So he had perfect chance. King David was so able to kill Saul in front of his eyes. He could have totally killed him, but he lets King Saul go. He didn't kill him. Why? Why? Because the Lord said, Don't put your hands against the Lord's anointed. King Saul, even though he's doing crazy stuff, but I've anointed him before you. So you dare, don't put your hands against him. So in obedience, David didn't touch him. First time chapter 24. And chapter 26, same situation. Saul was sleeping under his feet. So king so David could have totally just Stepped on him and just run away, but <laughs> I would have totally done that. But David didn't do it because he was a righteous man, right? He did not touch Saul, spared his life twice. Also, amazing man of God. And the problem is chapter twenty-seven. All right, guys, I want to challenge you this uh, here. So I want us to take a little pause here in the story. I just want to encourage you to read your Bible critically sometimes. So we, we often read the Bible lacking sober judgment because we have the prior knowledge that King Saul was a bad king. King David was a good king. You know what I'm saying? Paul was an amazing man of God. And we have just this prior knowledge from our Sunday school, right? Sunday school teachers, Saul was bad, David was good, and we just have that knowledge and we just apply that to our reading. So when you read read the Bible, you're just overly spiritualized spiritualizing the biblical characters that you know. Especially King David, when you read about him, it seems like all he did was righteous. You know, just believing that everything David did must have been right because he was a righteous man. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because he was a man after, right up, man after God's own heart. Because King David was a great king. But, I mean, other than what he did with Bathsheba, we all know that it was bad. But other than that, we just believe that King David was a perfect man. He lived a perfect life. He was a good one, right? But I want us to look at what David did with sober judgment not knowing anything about this man David. Just one of us. Just one of the brothers who lived long time ago. I don't know how far. Long time ago, okay? I want us to just read it with sober judgment. David was doing well. spared Saul's life twice. Obeying the Lord, he was doing well. Running away from King Saul. But chapter 27, let's see what it says. Right after he uh, spared Saul's life, he says, Then David said in his heart, Now, I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. That's what he thought to himself. And going to the Philistines, guys, it doesn't say that in the Bible God told him to go. No philistines by the way philistia was the enemy of the israel right so if so his logic is if he goes into the land of the enemy so cannot reach me right it's gonna it's gonna evoke a war right so Saul's gonna stop searching me if i go into the land of the enemy that's his logic here and david's idea so going into the philistines is totally whose idea Yeah, it was David's idea. It was not the Lord's idea. And you can tell by the way he speaks, right? Man, I'm going to die here. I'm going to perish if I do this thing like for any longer. So I got to just run away. You know what I'm saying? Do you see that? And he went into the land of the enemy, and he had doubts in his heart. He lost trust in the Lord, right? He fell into these thoughts. God is my refuge, I know, but not now. He is my shield, yeah, but I got to run away. I got to leave. You know, he's saying, man, I'm going to perish. I'm going to die here, but I can't do this anymore. He ran away to the enemy's land. That's what's happening here. And he went into the foreign land and his own will. No one told him to do that, but he ran away to the Philistines and received a city named Ziklag. Everyone say Ziklag. Yeah, remember this name. You're going to get lost. Ziklag, this is a city that's given by a prince of this land, Gath. It's a part of the Philistines. And there was a king. I forgot his name. But his son's name is Achish. Say Achish. Achish. Right. The prince Achish gave this land, Ziklag, to David. Who gave it to him? Achish. Achish. Right. Prince Achish. And what's the name of the land? jiklag right awesome you guys are doing good okay and guys let's look at this he king david not king but david back then took refuge in jiklag he ran away he got his own city he built his own refuge right his own city he's safe in there right he took refuge in human power human authority Right? He sought for protection from a prince of the enemy's land and not from the Lord. And place where Saul couldn't reach. It was a place that Saul's hands couldn't reach. So he ran away. He took his refuge in the land. And also he took refuge in people. So David wasn't alone. He had 600 men who was following David around. So he had his own army, 600 men and their own families. So They would just follow him around, and they would just support him. They were with him. He had his own crew, right? 600 men and the families. So David took refuge in his people, right? But then the problem was, while he was taking refuge in Jiklag when he was uh, taking a little rest break from King Saul, he had to compromise in so many ways. Guys, once you leave the shadow of the Lord, once you come out of the refuge of the Lord, you need to work for your own protection. You need to strive for favor. And protection of the Lord, promises of the Lord, favor of the Lord, you don't have to work for that. They are everlasting, they are unchanging, and they are just given by the grace. But once you come out of that, once you start building your own refuge, what happens? The promises of human, favor of men they don't last. The protection from men, they do not last. So you have to constantly work for it. you got to earn it. you got to please men to get the favor, right? So what's happening is David is in trouble now. David, I believe, was also afraid of losing his own city. That Ziklag that keeps him safe, right? The, the city, the, the king's prince's favor and the, the promise that he will protect me, he's caught in that. He's trapped now. So in that land, the favor of the leadership and city, and he didn't want to lose them. So what he had to do was, he had to make raids. He had to attack the, the cities and towns and villages of Judah, his own people. He had to attack them and take the plunder and give them to the enemy's enemy's king, right? The king. So he had to do it, but he—you he, think he wanted to do it? Even though he ran away, he loved Israel. He loved his own people. So what, what's going to be the way? But he's gotta give something to the king. He's gotta attack some cities, villages. What would they do? What would you do? What would you do? Okay, no one's answering. What would you do? <laughs> right he's in, tra- he's in trouble right so what he did was this guys he attacked other towns so he made raids against towns in philistia the, the the land of philistines he was not supposed to but he started attacking those little towns and villages and amalekites is another enemy of israel he was like ta- started attacking all these different cities and was plundering from them but One thing that he did was he made sure that all the men and women were dead after attacking them. And he took all the animals, all the valuable things, but then he made sure that everyone was dead after the attack. Why? Because he was supposed to attack what? Judah. He was supposed to attack his own people. The southern part of the Judah, the Negev area, he had to attack them, but he couldn't. So he attacked different parts. And then what? He lied to the king. Right? He lied to the king of Gath. King of the Philistines. He had to lie that, oh, I, I, I attacked Judah. I attacked my own people. And I, I, I got these plunders and have them. So he had to lie constantly. Did you guys know that about King David? I didn't know that. Yeah, he lied. I'm sorry, David, but you did. (laughs) Why did he have to kill everyone? Because he was afraid that someone will survive and come and report it to the king of Gath, And he was afraid of that. He was afraid that he would take away the land, he would take away the army. So just, he just, out of fear, he was just trapped. He just had to lie, right? And the Bible says that such was his custom, custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. For one year and four months, he constantly did it. Attacked different villages and lied and kept the favor and kept the protection for himself he had to do it he could have said i cannot attack my own people you know if he is man of righteousness he could have said i will go to different land and raids and bring some plunder for you but he just didn't Whew. and one day okay this is boring part this is battle part, part but i hope you enjoy the battle Army of God, it's a battle part. (laughs) All right, enjoy, okay? So when Philistines were gathered, they were gathered to the city to have a battle, big battle with the Israelites. So if you think about David's situation, this nation that he's living in, they're raising a war against his own people. And he's on this army, not on the Israelites, right? And he has to fight for someone, right? He's involved in this. And David came all the way to the battle site, which takes him three days. He, he, with his 600 men, he came to this city to fight against his own people, right? He came all the way. And he didn't, the Bible doesn't say that he says something like, I can't go on the battlefield, but I can't attack King Saul. But he didn't say anything like that. He just simply came, right? Guys, when you build your own refuge, I'm telling you, it traps you with fear of losing them. You cannot say anything. You get trapped with fear, of losing them because you built it you gotta keep it and david was afraid mad afraid and then because david deceived him so well but the, the king the achish the prince totally trusted david all along from the beginning till the end he trusted thinking man he has made himself an utter stench to his people israel that's what he thinks to himself therefore he shall always be my servant because he thinks that he's been attacking the Israelites all along, which is not true, right? And God, knowing all the history, one year and four months, David's doing, lying, and knowing that all, out of his disgrace, God intervenes, right? And he prevents them from going into the battle against their own people. So what happens is the commanders of the Philistine army they get angry with David. What are you doing, Hebrew? Get out of here! You're not going to fight for us. And all the commanders, the king was totally just favoring David, but the commanders were like, "Get out of here, you Hebrew! You're not fighting with us." So David couldn't take um, take a part in that battle, and he got kicked out. So he had to came, he had to come back to Ziklag, Zik- Zik- his own city, right? And if you look at the later chapters, you totally know that okay i'm kind of lost all right all right if david had gone into the battle guys can you imagine he could have never been guiltless before the lord because then what happens you know david going into the army and hitting the saul that's putting his hands against the lord's anointed and god just knowing david's destiny as a future king of israel he just spared him from that from that right and then David, you are not going into this battle. I cannot let you in. And out of God's grace, he just intervened and King David couldn't fight in the battle, right? And then he's now, well, back to Ziklag, his own city. Are you guys following? Is it like history? Alright, I'm trying to make it like a story, but okay, follow through. Alright. Alright, and chapter 30, this is the main part that I want to talk about. Okay, if you've been following the history, you know that now they came back to that city, Ziklag and what's happening? There's smoke arising, there's fire, there's ashes everywhere, and then they arrived, and what happened was the Amalekites, that king and his army's been attacking, you know, the, the, the city that they've been attacking, they actually made a revenge raid. And while the army was all gone to the different city, what happened was Amalekites, they made a revenge and they, they came in, they burned up the city, they took all the wives, they took all the kids, all the animals, all the belongings, they took everything, and then the, the, the city was just on fire, burning. And here David and 600 army, finally home, after six days of tra- travel, utterly despised. You know what I'm saying? Like where are they? It's all gone. The city David came to take refuge in, you know, the Ziklag, the city of favor, was totally gone. It was burned up. It was burned. It was just ashes. And that the favor and protection from the Philistines, the king and prince and all the favor from them, it was totally gone. Because the fact that Amalekites came to revenge... That just means that someone knows about it, and then if the if the king of Philistines asked some people, he would just find out, oh, what's been happening was David's been lying to you, blah, blah, blah. It's all out. Secret, there's no more secret, right? So the favor will be gone. You know, the lying and all the play, it's gone. And the people that David trusted, the 600 men of loyalty, David, we are going to follow you. Those 600, 600 people What's, what's happening with them is they wept until they had no energy to weep together, because the families are gone. Can you imagine after the, you know, after they came back and the families, all the kids are gone, and just they trusted David for their prosperity, for their victory, but they just lost everything. They're all taken, right? And then after weeping, they start talking about stoning David to death. So his own men, six hundred men, who went through so much together, they are now about to like kill David. Come on, all, you know, we're going to put all the blames on you. It's your fault. We're going to kill you. We're going to stone you. And David just lost everything. His two wives, they're not here. They're taken captives. Their kids, they're gone. He's just utterly left alone in the burning city that he came to take refuge in. It was when the lord had taken away everything that he had everything that, that everything that david trusted in he came back to take refuge in the lord david comes back when everything was taken away lord my city's gone lord my family's gone my army is gone the favor is gone i'm left alone here All I have left now is you, Lord. You know, everything's gone. It's just you. You know, if you really think about the word refuge, if you think about the people group, the refuge, the war refugees, if you really think about them, they are the people who don't have home, who don't have their own country that will protect them. They don't have people or relatives that they can rely on. They don't have anyone. That's why they come into refuge. You know what I'm saying? The reason why they are called refugees is because they have no one to rely on. And that's exactly the situation that David's in. And David finally takes refuge in the Lord. And I totally see God's tactic, cause, guys, do you guys see God's hands just coming in, taking like everything out, like hiding it? David? David? You better come back to me. And then when David comes back, later on, he, God gives it back to him, right? Because cause it's interesting because when David attacked the different cities, he made sure that he killed everyone. But Am- Amalekites, when they came to revenge, you know what they, what they're going to do? They're going to kill everyone, right? If I'm one of the Amalekites, I'm going to kill them, you know? But they didn't kill anyone. It says that they took everyone alive. They took captured everyone alive, but no one was dead. So they found everyone back. How interesting is that, you know? David didn't lose anyone. How interesting, because it was a revenge. Then they got to kill everyone, but they didn't. So I just totally see God's tactic. It's like God's wisdom to bring David back to his own arms, but not really touching anything, not really ruining or destroying him. I just see that gentleness of the father just displayed in this. Anyways, that's a side note. But... I counted, so I read through the Psalms preparing for this message. And I I, I got some help from the Bible Gateway too. But anyways, I counted all the verses that says, take refuge in him, take refuge in the Lord. let's start those who take refuge. All the take refuge in blah, blah passages. I counted it all. And I found 24 or 25, I forgot the number, but 24 or 25 references in the Psalm alone. That's a lot, guys. Be surprised. Wow. Wow. That's a lot, right? The reason why King David keeps on writing about it is he has done the other thing. Do you guys get it? So let me read some of the Psalms. It's beautiful verses, beautiful poems and prophecies to us. And listen to this. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. Psalm 57.1. Another one. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Psalm 118.8-9. Do you guys understand the meaning of it now? He has done that before. He put his trust in a prince of a nation. It didn't work. He has trusted his own army. It didn't work. He has trusted in his own city. It didn't work. Right? So he's done that before. So the King David, when he sang these Psalms in the temple of God, in the tabernacle of David, or whatever, you know, they're like the testimonies, like with tears. He would just play lyre. He would be singing these beautiful Psalms and it's his life testimony. He's just saying, man, I've done that before. It's no good, people. Don't do that. Don't take refuge in anything else but the Lord. It's just him telling us, yo, I, I, I did it, but it wasn't good, so don't do it. It's like a testimony. He's just telling us his life story, right? And in that moment, let's go back to the story, chapter 30. So people are about to stone David. David, come here. We're going to stone you to death. You made, you caused all this. We're not going to follow you anymore. Come here. In that situation, what does David do? Let's look at that. Bible says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. He's God. That's the first thing that he did. You know, you can tell that he's been somewhat distant from the Lord for one and four months deceiving the king. I'm sure that he was in a lot of distress, you know, he's deceiving the king, but he's got to keep the city and a lot of, I guess, stress. And, but in that, even in that, when he comes back to the Lord, he does it very quickly. Like he doesn't hesitate. He quickly repents, no self pity party. He just quickly comes back to the Lord. And I've seen so many people, they kind of come distant from the Lord for like a period of time. And when they go back to the Lord, it's such a long journey. Like, do I deserve that? Does God love me? Does he, is He gonna accept me again? Am I loved? Is it, you know, am I saved? Like, oh, like you're doubting their salvation. It just takes so long and I don't know if I can go pray. I don't know if you can even praise. Will God accept it? Am I worthy? And all those pity party, but you don't have to do that. Let me tell you that you don't have to do that. There's so many people are hesitant before they go back to the Lord. They're so hesitant. They're so scared. Are you going to accept me again? Can I go back to you? But rise back up. Look at what David did. Strengthen himself in the Lord. He's God, you know? Strengthen himself. He's God. In the Lord, he's God. And that's what we are supposed to do. we got to rise back up quickly, gather yourself and go back to the Lord. That's what you got to do. Mm. And then know that his love never fails. His love never leaves you and nothing can separate you. You are his beloved possession. And no matter what you do, it cannot separate you from the love of the Lord. So he's just waiting there, right? So many people, you know, do not struggle with that. You can rise back up, run to him right away. You can do that. And the next thing that he did was this. David said to Abiathar, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. Ephod? ephod. Ephod, good. Okay, ephod is a luxury coat that priests wore. It's like a garment. It has these jewels called urim, urim, I don't know what that is, but urim, I think, and yeah, those jewels in it. It's like a garment, priestly garment, but it was used to seek the will of the Lord. But it got, so it was like a tool of communication between the Lord and God's people, Israelites. But then what you do is, you can only ask yes or no question. Like, what should I eat tonight, Lord, after prayer meeting? He doesn't answer you. (laughs) But then when you ask, can I eat ramen afterwards? He will say no. (laughs) It's like yes or no question. It's a tool of communication. So God answers your yes or no question. That's how Israelites found out the Lord's will. So David said, yo, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ifad, and if you, hey hey, come (laughs) now. And the reason why is he wanted to pray. You know, ifad is a way of communication. We don't have the luxury codes, but what do we have? We have prayer, right? What he did was he took if okay. Let me word it right. If you decide to take refuge in him, you pray. You seek the Lord. You inquire of the Lord. That's the sign of expression. That's expression of your trust and faith to the Lord. You go pray. You inquire of the Lord. That's what you do. You ask and you wait and you talk to him. You hear his voice. That's what you do. It's an indication of David's return to totally relying on him. God, I need your answer. We must pray. If you are truly going to trust in the Lord, if you are going to take refuge in him, we got to pray. Guys, that's what David did. Bring me an ephod and let me inquire of the Lord. Let me talk to him. And the Lord answers faithfully. He didn't say, I'm not telling you you've been far away from me for one and four months. He didn't say that. He said, all right, here's the answer. He answered gently and faithfully. The Lord answered. Regardless of David's mistake that he made, he answered faithfully. And God tells him to go pursue them and take everything back that's been taken. And David and his 600 men, they're after the Malachites now. They're like running after them to take their wives back and the kids back. You know, they're tired, but they got to go. Their families are gone, right? But on the way, they are on the way to pursue them, but they're, they're really tired, right? They just came back from the three-day trip, walking trip, right? And 200 men on the way, they're too exhausted to move forward. So they say, oh, we're going to drop here. Sorry, we can't go anymore. Can you imagine, as a captain of the army, one-third of your army, one-third, 200 out of 600, they say, I'm sorry, but I'm so tired, I cannot go. Are you going to let them stay? One-third of your army. And it's a, it's a battle time. It's not like a second world war. It's not like that. It's like a men fight. You fight one-on-one. There's like arrows and the swords and stuff, but you fight like fist fight. You fight one-on-one. There's no... Such a thing like tank or missiles. like There's nothing like that, so it's like men fight, right? So the number of the army, fist fight, I'm sorry. <laughs> men fight? I don't know, man. So in those days, the number of the army is very important. That's why in the, in the accounts of the battles, there's a number of the army always written. Because it means a lot. Because you, if you have more people, you have more strength. There's more possibility for you to win the battle, right? So it really matters, and there are, like, one-third of the army is like, oh, no, we can't go. You go, you go. We're going to stay here, just keep the, you know, backs and stuff. What are you saying? Like, if I was David, man, we got to go. Like, we got to win. We got to take our families back. But in this situation, they're just so tired, so they can't go, right? Come on. And David, what does he do? He just let them stay there. Okay, guys, you keep the back here. We're going to be back. And he just goes into the battle with 400 men. David, you crazy? Yeah? Now, finally, David shows that he's trusting in the Lord, not in the manpower. Do you see the turnaround? He now trusts in the not- He doesn't trust in the number of the army, but he trusts in the promise of the Lord. Because the Lord said, yes, go, I will give you the victory. Now he trusts in that he he just go for it, right? And he knows that it's the help of the Lord that will lead them to the victory, not the number of the men. So he just went forth with 400 men. It's not many. And verse 16 to 20. Okay, I want you guys to sort of wake up, so let's read it together. 16 to 20 chapter 30 you guys are doing wonderful i see some beautiful eyes oh, i i'm getting very blessed 16 to 20 you guys ready let's read it loud okay 16 to 20 one two three go and when he had taken him down behold the world was fed and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of judah and david shot them down from twilight until the evening of the next day and not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who mounted camels and fled david recovered all that amalekites had taken and david rescued his two wives Nothing was missing, amen. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the stock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Amazing. So David got back everything that was taken, and on top of that, he plundered more, right? So God... Not only redeem what 's been lost, but gave him even more and uh, i I really wanted to encourage the missions people about the fundraising I see so many heads going up right now, but <laughs> I know a lot of us are going on a mission trip and the fundraising situation I know that it 's not that easy asking for money uh, it 's kind of awkward sometimes, so I just wanted to give you guys a quick testimony of God giving more than I've been lost. I lost, right? So it was my second mission trip. I think I've shared this before, I think in front of the mic, but I'm not too sure. But My mission trip to Nepal, it was 2007, February. And then it was a long trip, like two weeks' trip, so I had to raise a lot of money. But back then, we didn't have the fundraising system. So we basically had to just come up with the money on our own. So we had to make money, right? So I got these crazy tutor jobs. I was uh, second year college, third year college. So I got all these temporary tutor jobs. Praise God for tutor jobs. So I got all these English tutor jobs. And I started working like crazy all throughout the summer. And I was like paying little by little, won at once, won at once, and my, my leader was a little bothered, but I, I, I had to do it, so I was giving her like shibu won, won per week. So when, whatever money that I got, like, I just gave it to her. So it was really difficult to raise like, back, won 2 mil, up to like 2 mil. So I was like faithfully doing that, and then it was exactly a week before the trip, was the deadline for the support raising or making money, right? So, here, here, here I come. I came to church Sunday morning. I had 150,000 won exactly in my pocket, 150,000 won in my pocket, in my wallet. And I came to the church. And in the morning, uh, back then, I was serving at a children's ministry with the KM. So I had children's ministry service at 10 a.m. And I was doing this VVS with the kids. I had Bible studies with kids. I had a crazy morning. And I ran upstairs for our service, right? And I was enjoying loving the sermon, Pastor and back then I was loving the sermon, praising the Lord and I was so hyped up for the mission trip, right? And the offering time came and I opened my wallet and my monies were gone. So someone stole my money, I guess in the children's ministry, but I'm not too sure. But my cash was cash was gone. I opened my red wallet and I started crying. Cause it was the last money that I had to give to my leader to complete my payment, and it was like last money that I had. I was like, I was like so broke. I couldn't take bus. I couldn't eat well. All I ate was kimbap three times a day. It was terrible. And I, 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 I raised the money like by doing that, like walking like three hours a day, like eating kimbap for a week or stuff, you know. And I made them money, and it was just totally gone. Man, I'm about to cry right now. But anyways, and the money was over the mission trip. So I was, like, so upset and sad and, like, what's going on, Lord? Like, I need this money to go on mission trip. And I was so upset. And I remember crying like a crazy girl. And at the end of the service, after the service, my, my leader, team leader, came up to me because I was like crying like a, She's a crazy girl. I was like, oh. and then my leader came up to me and she was like, "No, why are you crying? I, I have, so, I give, I, I have something to give to you." And I was like, "What is that? I lost my money." And I was like, she was like, she held my hand like this and she said, what? God, is so good to you." And I was like, "Whatever, you <laughs> know." <laughs> I just told you that I lost my money and God's so good to you. And she said. You got an anonymous offering, and it's exactly 300,000 won. But the dramatic part is not that. The dramatic part is the sermon title of that day, that Sunday, was The God of Double Portions. You guys get it? So I lost 150, and I got 300 back. After crying for 30 minutes, it was worth the, cr- uh, worth the tears. <laughs> you know? And I just realized. Oh, man, God can do this. And God loves doing it to you guys. And he just loves to surprise us with those sneak attacks. And I just love how he speaks and how he provides. It's just so dramatic. It's better than Korean dramas. And I just love it. You know? So I just want to encourage you. He not only pay you back, he will give you more. Take it. He will give you more. Amen. 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 All right. All right, everyone's up. Whoa. Verse 21 and 22. Almost through. Verse 21 and 22. It gets even more exciting here. 21, 22. One, two, three, go. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook, Besser. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. Hmm. What? What? Well, can you guys kind of like associate with it i can totally because when i was younger i would all right i would i gotta make, keep it short but i would make a contract with my parents whenever the exam period comes so whenever we had like midterms and finals i was pretty a good student so i studied a lot but then i always needed some sort of reward like in front of my eyes 엄마 like mom if i if i get the if I become the first top student in my school, among my graders, can you do that for me? Like, can you buy that for me? Can you send me to Seoul to see, like, G.O.D. or something? Right, you know, oh, that kind of, like, contract? No. Back then, G.O.D. was the best. Anyways, I always made those contracts with my, par- my parents, and they would just drive me to study mad heart and i would just get the top student right and without that it wouldn't really drive me to study so i would just do whatever and just you know you know so i always had the contract with my parents but whenever i got my reward my my brother would come along and he would get something though he didn't do well in school and that would just drive me crazy. It would just nullify the, the worth of my reward that I just got. You know, you guys, you guys understand me? It was just injustice. He didn't study. <laughs> it was injustice. When I was studying overnight, he was playing games, and he gets a terrible score. I get like a hundred, you know, full score. And then I get my reward, but he would get something similar. Like, he would always get something. more on injustice. And I was, like, so upset. And I was just throw things, like, that I just got. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, he got the same thing. And then why did I study? And I was, like, so upset, right? Do you guys have that kind of experience? Like, <sighs> even birthday gifts? When your brother, whose birthday is not on that day, when he gets something along with me, my birthday gift wouldn't mean much. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's an injustice. In- and... <laughs> Man, in college, oh, man, I got to mention this because the World Cup. In college, second year college, sophomore year, I had this crazy group project. I went to teacher's college, English education. So I had so many, like, team projects in, like, education classes. And I really hated it because I always ended up taking the most of the work. And I would be the most meticulous person. So I would just do all the editing and all the chumney, all the, like, all the work, I would just take everything on, right? I hated it, and I remember it was during 2006. It was like a of season. It was like summertime at the end of semester. And we had to come up with this program, the booklet or program for the special education for the disabled children. And it was like massive project. And we divided all the chapters and five of us, and then I was the editor at the end. So they sent in all their things that they did like at the last minute and that day we had a game korea has a game with someone so i was so gonna go to city hall and like share but then i got all the last minute works and was so crappy like (laughs) terrible quality it was like for five years old children it was for like high schoolers like they had like no brain i was serious they (laughs) did a terrible job and they just sent it to me and i was trying to contact them and then one girl will pick up and, oh, I'm sorry, I'm at Kwang And he was just ha- she would just hang up. And one girl is at like City Hall and, oh, I'm sorry, I can't talk. He will ha- she would just hang up. And I was just left alone doing like the work of 10 people. It took me like 26, 28 hours non-stop. And I finished it. I turned it in. And then, you know what? We got A plus for the course. But then I was so tempted to tell my professor that they didn't do anything. (laughs) Because I did it from the scratch. I did everything new. So basically, it was my own thing, right? I was so tempted to tell my professor, but I actually didn't. But do you guys understand what I'm saying? Like That sense of injustice its just (laughs) not right, right. It's just not right. It just doesn't settle with us. And that's the world that we live in. Academically and everything, you get what you work for. You get what you did, like how much you did. You know what I'm saying? We're just so used to that kind of worldly rule. And we're just governed by it. You get what you did for. You get what you worked for. And that's it. You get what you deserve. And in Korea, there's an interesting expression. It said, It basically means like worthless person, but it literally means that you can't even pay for your food. You can't even work for your food.. It's like a typical expression for like worthless men, right? worthless person. And in this society in Korea, you just gotta deserve like you, you get what you deserve. you know what I'm saying? even though they're your children, like there's no mercy, like you get what you deserve. you know Because we live in this kind of culture you get based on your performance. you know that's what's fair in our eyes. that's what's just. That's what's just right in our eyes. But in that sense, if you look at the Lord in that eyes, God is so unfair. He's so unfair, right? He's unjust? No, that's not right. But he's unfair in that sense. God is all about giving to the undeserving people, right? That's this basic meaning of God's grace, you know? He just gives to undeserving people. You get what you don't deserve. That's grace, right? And he does it based on that, not on the performance. And this is a striking fact, but we often forget. And in verse 22, wicked and worthless men. Oh man, beautiful title. Wicked and worthless men. And they said, we cannot share the plunder. We fought for it, and it's all ours. But, I kinda of understand what they are saying cause they fought for 30 plus hours. They had that fist fight, the men fight, that fist fight for over 30 hours. Well, it could be even 50 hours cause some scholars are saying twilight, it could mean dawn, dawn, it could mean dusk. So if it's like dawn age, they fought for like 50 hours. Can you guys imagine fist fight for 50 hours? It could, it could kill you. <laughs> Is this the wrong word? Peace fight? <laughs> hmm? Sword? Okay, sword fight. <laughs> thirty fight. I don't know. Anyway, it's a fight, right? So I <laughs> understand why they're upset. Cause they fought thirty, fifty hours, like thirty fight, and then they all got it back. But they were sitting and waiting, chilling, and they now want to share this. No? Man. Yo, God's rule is like this. I was reading an article about the World Cup. And Korea just made it to the 16 final teams. Woo! Korea just made it. (laughs) And we have a game on Saturday. And I read an article that the coach of Korean team, he asked the government for the exemption from the army service, army duty, for all the players on Korean team, because it's such a waste of time, because for them, you know, if they gotta train, they gotta use that time, they can only play when they're young and stuff, so they, he suggested that to the government, and they're waiting for, I think, the decision, and guys, I, I was like reading it, and it doesn't only apply to the players who actually scores, or who actually plays, but it applies to all the players who, even the ones who are sitting through the games, on the bench, they all get the same thing. Do You guys get it? It applies to everyone who runs under the name of Korean team, right? Even though you don't get to actually run on the field, you get the same benefit. You get to enjoy the benefit that the team receives, right? So it's just like that, the army is the same thing. So God's grace is just like that. Even though you don't get to run on the field, even though you don't get to score, or you, you know, you don't do well, I guess, on the match, but you still get the reward. You still get to enjoy the benefit of the game. You know? Wow. I'm lost. Even though, alright, okay, and <laughs> whether. Let me apply this to you guys. And whether you're going on a missions trip or not this time, doesn't matter, guys. Sending team will get to enjoy all the fruits, all the testimonies of all trips. You guys are going to share it together. Going team, sending team, you want team. We run under the same team name. We get everything together. Mm-hmm. And whether you did one meal fast or liquid fast or maybe you didn't do the fast, doesn't matter, guys. You get to enjoy the fruit and outpouring of the Spirit just like with you, just like everyone else. Amen. Amen. We are happy to share that with you. We are happy to share that with you guys. I mean it. <laughs> I mean it. That's the statute of God's kingdom. It says that that's the statute of the kingdom of Israel. Church let's be the people of grace. I do not want us to be the people, wicked and worthless, <laughs> not wanting to share. And let us, yeah, let us not be that, those people, you know? And support raising people, one more thing. Some of you, you will get overflows. You will get like two mil overflow or stuff like that. But some of you, you will get like half of it. Hopefully it's not you, but some of you, you will lack... <laughs> <laughs> Some of you, you will lack a little bit. But if you are the overflowing person, your fund goes to the member, team member that lacks money. Get it? So even though you get overflow, you are to give it to the people who don't have enough money, right? So don't be like, I want it. It's my support. Let's be thankful. Don't be like that. Don't be worthless. Generously share. Share. You receive freely, and you give freely, right? And we're going to finish up with this, 26 to 31. 26 to 31. One, two, three, go. When David came to Ziklag... He sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Okay, stop there. And there's all the names of the cities and all the people that he gave those presents to. The spoil that they got was so enough. So he distributed to the people who didn't go to the battle, who went to the battle, and the left over, I guess, some of it, he gave it to all the friends all the surrounding people groups, right? David blessed the elders of Judah with it. They're not under his kingship yet. David is not a king yet, right? But even though he's not a king, they're not directly under him. David gave it out. Guys, there's a problem when a church in a a local community succeeds. It goes really well. But there's a problem where that, when that church is succeeding, but other churches surrounding them is dying. Have you guys seen that kind of community? One church is thriving, and other churches are all dying and drying up. There is a problem in the city, in the community, right? When a local church succeeds, other churches in the area should succeed alone. When Jubilee gets blessed, we also get to enjoy the blessing. When OEM flourishes and we we also get to eat it up along with them. When burning lamp gets all crazy with the fire, we get to go and get some fire too, right? And when New Philly, we plunder the enemy on mission trips. Other churches, you guys are welcome to. You guys get to celebrate it together. And it's all for you guys. And for God's church to prosper, There's got to be that unity in that. We got to share the plunder that we took from the enemy together. We are to share. We are to spread. And we saw and other people will reap it. That's sometimes the truth. We saw, but other people will reap. You know, we don't reap it, but other people, maybe future generation, other churches, they might reap. True, Niagara Conference, that's why we are doing it. That's why we are opening it to all the churches. We put in funds. The rally, we are putting in funds and efforts and prayers, but other people will come and be blessed. They're going to reap the benefit of it. But that's the purpose of it. We want it. We desire that to happen. We must continue to bless, spread, and give away. That's the way of survival in God's kingdom. And nothing that we have is for us to keep within ourselves. It's not really for us. It is to give away, to give as a presence to the people surrounding us, to our friends. In a big picture, I want to close with this. In a big picture, South Korea is sowing. South Korean churches are sowing and sowing. And I, I guess North Korean churches, they are sowing too, but maybe we are just sowing and sowing. And last Monday, we had a really anointed, powerful time of prayer for North Korea. And I really believe that when we pray, North Korea, they will reap from it. They are going to reap the fruit. They will. And I saw this beautiful vision when I was praying for North Korea. I don't really get visions, but that night, the was so strong, and I just saw this vivid vision, and I, it was just so cool, so I got to share this. But there was a Korean flag right in front of my nose. It was, like, big. It's a Korean flag. You know how it looks like? There's a circle in the middle, and then the northern, the, the upper part, it's red. And the the down it's blue It represents North Korea and South Korea, right? And I saw them. It was like a watercolor. They started to do, like mingle together. They came together like blend, like getting all blended. And then the color started to change. And it was a color. The color was like deep purple because red plus blue is purple. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that, but it turned a deep dark purple, and it became a one circle, right? It was like a water. It was like, sh- sh- sh. it was like cool purple color. And then it turned into a robe. It was like a clothes, garment robe. And then it got dropped on the street on a dirt ground. I didn't know where that was. It was like a dirt ground. It got dropped on the ground. And then there was a little flimsy little boy walked up to it, and he picked it up. And then he wore it. And I looked at him. I don't remember if he smiled or not, but he picked it up, he wore it. And then I realized, oh, that's the color of royalty. Yeah. Royalty. And I realized, wow, the prayers going from south and north are meeting together. It's getting all blended. And it's turning into the royal color, the king's color. And they are going into the streets of North Korea, and the people there, they're going to weep. They're going to pick it up, and then they're going to wear it. And they're children of God, children of the king, the royal people being birthed through our prayers. And I just got the cool revelation. I was like, praise the Lord. That's what I want, Lord. You know, we saw and North Korea will reap. I believe that. I want that. I desire that. Okay, let's close our eyes. Uh, I want us to just quickly respond with short prayers to the Lord. To sing that, simply two things. Telling Him that, Lord, I take refuge in you. Like the true group of refuge people who don't have any nation to rely on any people group or relative to rely on. I don't have other organization to rely on. I don't have anyone to rely on. I don't have a city. I don't have my army. Lord, I rely on you. I take refuge in you. I want us to make a prayer from the message. And like King David did, I want you to rise back up doesn't matter if you follow or not. I want you to rise back up quickly and just pick up the ifad, pick up the prayer, the tool of communication, and just start communicating with him and telling him that I take refuge in you. Lord, I take refuge in you. And secondly, I want us to remember North Korea and this city as well. As we saw, Lord, let other people reap. I reject and deny the rules of this world. That you get what you deserve. I reject that. People will get what they do not deserve. They will get the grace of God. Even though they are undeserving people, let's just pray that God's grace will just break through that. And just for North Korean people, people in this city, in this nation, to just reap from what we are sowing into right now. So can we pray together?